Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Amen. I was talking to my sister, Pat, who lives in England the other day. Um, Pat's a a little younger than I am, but uh, in the UK, they've been very rigid about the the whole thing about quarantine, and particularly because she has some underlying health conditions. She actually emerged this past week, uh, once a day it's permitted. She came out of her house for the first time in 11 weeks, so had to be in her house. For 11, was not allowed out of the house. Technically, was not allowed to go in the backyard. Don't ask questions. All right, but technically, couldn't even go into the backyard. She's got a beautiful back garden. Couldn't go there. Was permitted to have one window open in the house. That was it. Uh, and she, 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 she went through the, she's been through this whole kind of quarantine thing. And then a couple of weeks ago, though, she did venture a little because her daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter drove, and they live some ways away. They drove up one, one Sunday and, and they sat on the wall kind of right at the, the, the front, and the, you know, by the street that's at the end, end of her front yard. They sat on the wall and she sat just by her garage and they had a long distance conversation. And she said, that was the best day I'd had in all that time. You know why? Because one of the things we've discovered that really matters during this time is family. We've looked at a whole bunch of things in our series, What Matters Most, but today I want to talk about what matters most is family. And I'm winding up the series here. Next Sunday morning for Father's Day, um, I want to talk about lessons from dad. And uh, I'm going to talk about some of the life lessons that are actually biblical lessons that I learned from my father. But today we're going to look at what matters most is family. And there's a particular angle that I want to take on this, and, and I'll explain it this way. When I became a Christian, um, I was 12 years old, and I was the only person in our family who was a Christian. And from the time I came to faith in Christ, which I believed and still believe was the best thing that ever happened in my life, what I wanted more than anything else, I wanted for my family to come to know Jesus too. And what I want to speak about this morning when we look at family mattering to us is I want to talk about something that I'm sure is relevant to many of us, how to influence your family for Jesus. How do you influence your family for Jesus? In the book of Romans chapter 9 and verse 2, the apostle Paul says this when he speaks about his, the nation, his nation, Israel. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. That's pretty heavy, right? 
He says, I just so want my people, I just so want my race to really know Christ, that it's a heaviness that I really feel. It's a sadness I carry with me. And sometimes I think, you know what, if I were to be damned so that they could be saved, I'm okay with that. Wow. In the next chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, he just lays it out like this, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israelites is that they might be saved. Now, I want you to look at that verse for a moment. I'm pointing where I'm reading it. You're probably reading it down there somewhere. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is they may be saved. Now, I want you to look at that verse, and I want you right now, just for a moment, pause and think, take out Israelites, the Israelites, and who are you going to put in there? Because I'm sure that you've got family and you've got loved ones, and you know what? This verse really is where you're at. My heart's desire, my prayer to God for is that they may be saved. And this morning, I want to talk about how to influence your family for Jesus. Now, the first thing I, I want to say is this. Can we have that on the screen? That's good. Thanks. Because I'd forgotten what this was. Relax and trust God. I, I'll tell you, no, I, I tell you, I've forgotten. I got my notes. My notes say something different. My notes say something I was told I can't say. We arrived here 29 years ago, flew into JFK with all our wad of papers, came in through a special immigration office, and we, we arrived as, as, um, as, what do they call them? Aliens. That's what they call you with a green card, right? So we were here as aliens. We were, and we came to the country 29 years ago. One of the things I discovered, I've been in the States a load of times before that, and, but I discovered it more and more. I forget who said this. He said, the United States and the United Kingdom are two countries separated by one common language. So, like, there are things you say here in the States that we would not say in, in the UK. There are things we say, and there are things that are totally legit to say in the UK that don't really go across the same in, in, in the United States. So I'm saying relax and trust God because I was told shut up and trust God you shouldn't say on a Sunday. So I left it there. Because, no, in the UK, that's not really as abrupt and nasty. It's like you, people say it all the time, but okay, relax and trust God. Okay, okay. Relax and trust God. To the people who are listening and recording what I said and the person in the booth at the back who's having a heart attack right now, relax and trust God. How do you influence your loved ones for Jesus? Relax and trust God. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 1. So Peter here is talking to Christian women, and he says this, the same goes for you wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands who are indifferent. Sorry, there are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. So Peter says here, listen, ladies, those of you that got husbands who are not believers, they're not listening to anything that's said. 
So let your life influence them for the Lord. When I went to Bible college in 1968, the college principal was a, a, a highly respected man in our denomination. I was with the Assemblies of God in the UK, and John Carter had been one of the founding pioneers of Assemblies of God in the country, and he was now 75 years old, but he was the principal of the Bible school, a man with unbelievable experience. And his brother, Howard Carter, who had been partner with him right the way through this, was one of our, our tutors there, and he taught us homiletics, which is how to preach. Yes, he's cringing in heaven this morning. But, but Howard Carter taught us homiletics. And uh, I remember one night, I was one Sunday, I'd been preaching Sunday night in a church a, a couple of miles away from the Bible college, and it was, it was late at night, and we had a curfew. And I was afraid, I, I didn't have a car, I was afraid that I was going to be late for the curfew walking back to college. And I actually walked by the railroad station. As I'm passing the railroad station, I see Howard Carter getting into a cab. He'd been in London preaching somewhere that day. So I rush up to the cab as the door still open and said, uh, excuse me, Mr. Carter, if I split the fare, could I ride with you? He said, oh, Roger, of course you can. You don't need to pay. That was good because I didn't have any money. But, uh, so, so I'm riding with Howard Carter, and, and, and Howard Carter said to me, um, I hear you're a bit of a preacher. Is that true? And I said, I don't think so, Mr. Carter. I've got a lot of things to learn. He was a great tutor. He was just fun. He told stories. He told lots of that's, He told a story one day about during World War I, he was a conscientious objector, so he did not want to fight. He didn't feel it was right. And so he was put in jail. So he was in one of the most miserable jails in the UK, Dartmoor Prison, uh, bleak in the middle of nowhere, and he spent several of the war years in prison for his faith. And he said in the corner of his room, there was a little wash basin with a, with, with a, with a spigot, a faucet, whatever, tap we call them in England. So I had the tap there, and he said, the tap dripped, and he couldn't shut it off. And he said after the first couple of weeks there, he couldn't sleep at night because the drip was driving him insane. And he said, I really was going out of my mind with the noise of this drip every night. And I was so sleepless. I was in a terrible state until he said, one night I decided I would pray about it. And I say, God, you've got to help me. Stop that tap dripping. And it did. And it did. That's an incredible, right? Isn't that an amazing story? Some of you don't even believe it. Oh, hey, whatever you like. My God can do that small stuff as well as the big stuff. The dripping tap nearly dropped it, drove him nuts. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 27 and verse 15. A nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. I want to tell you, you will not win your loved ones to Christ if you assault them with a drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. Sometimes you just need to, sorry, relax and trust God. Relax and trust God. You, you know, Newton, I hated physics at school, but I remember this. Newton's third law says that to every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So the fact is this, 
If there's a force going that way, there will be a force pushing the other way. Or otherwise, it makes progress. Here's the deal. You try pushing people towards the kingdom of God, and you are going to find that they push back as strongly as you push them. You can't force people into the kingdom of God, but in our passion uh, to see them come to Jesus, and in our desire for them to find the fullness of life we found in Christ, if we are not careful, we can get so intense that we become our own worst enemy, and we actually drive their progress back. Trust God. Uh, Just in passing, I'm not talking about your six-year-old here, by the way. If your six-year-old don't want to go to church, they come to church. Sorry, I'm just interfering with your family life there, aren't I? You see, what we've got to recognize is this. The Bible makes it clear that God doesn't want anyone to be lost. You want your loved one to know the Lord? God wants it more than you do. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, God isn't late with his promises as some measure lateness. It's like, God, nothing's happening. He's restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. You don't want your loved ones to be lost without Christ. I want to tell you this. The Bible makes it really clear. God doesn't want that either. Is it taking a long while? Hey, the fact is this. God still wants to give them the space and the time for them to change. Because have you ever discovered, you must have discovered this, your idea of timing is not the same idea as God's idea of timing? Yeah, you, you learned that, right? Because like when I'm praying, I expect it like today, and sometimes it's five years' time because God's working in His home time. I started praying for my family in 1962 when I came to know the Lord for myself, and nothing happened. Sometimes I'd pray more frequently than other times. Sometimes it was just off in the back of my mind. Or sometimes something might occur in the family and I'd start to be praying again for my family to come to know Christ. 1962. It wasn't until 1968 that my mother and then my father came to know the Lord. But here's what I want to tell you. They came to know the Lord. God isn't slack. I want to encourage you today, whether you're talking about a spouse, whether you're talking about children, if you're talking about parents, whatever that is, whoever it is that my heart's desire for them is that they might be saved, whoever that is, I just want to encourage you, don't get so intense that you try to drive the agenda. Relax and trust God because God doesn't want a single person to be lost. God works things out in his time. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, he wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned. Hey, God wants everyone to be saved and to get to know the truth that we've learned. Back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23, we read this. God says, do you think I take any pleasure in the death of, a wicked, of wicked men and women. 
Isn't it my pleasure that they turn around, no longer living right? Sorry, let's try that again. No longer living wrong, but living right, really living. God says, here's what I want. I want them to be really living. And I want to tell you this today about loved ones who don't yet know the Lord. God wants them to be really living. But none of us can do God's work for Him. God knows we try. I have people from time to time, and they've asked me kind of, you know, what's a book I could recommend for my husband to read so that, you know, it, it might really just speak to him and help him to come to know the Lord? And the first question I ask is, when did your husband last read a book? No, I'm, 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 you know, because a lot of people are not readers, particularly nowadays, apparently in the 21st century. It's like, you know, when do you last read a book? And it's like, no, back off. Back off. Relax and trust God. Is there somebody you think you could just get to talk to my son and maybe just help him to stop trying to make it happen? Relax and trust God. Relax. And trust God. God has made fantastic promises to us about our families. Relax and trust God. Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus once. The story's in the third chapter of John's Gospel. And, and, and when he's talking to, to Nicodemus uh, about how people come to faith, he says this. He says, don't be surprised when I tell you you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. Got it. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. So Jesus says, hey, here's how this stuff happens. He says, you know how wind is, you know, suddenly you feel the gust. You don't know quite which, where it came from. You don't know where it's going to next. He said, when people are born from above, that's the way it happens. That's the way the Holy Spirit moves. And you know what? You found that and I found that because the reality is this, in a moment of time, God can turn a person's life, life around. And we know that because God's done that for us. My Lord, there are people who came into this church on Sunday mornings kind of under protest. They didn't even really want to be here. And they came into church Sunday morning and they went out of that door Sunday morning with a new relationship with Jesus and with peace with God. The Spirit moves wherever He wants. Listen, we don't know where and how God's working. Don't try to do His work for Him. Are you with me there? Don't try to do His work for Him. People now and again say, you know, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. He does. Let him get on with it. Relax and trust God. Okay, so the next thing I want to do following this same suggest to you is this. Bug God, not them. Bug God, not them. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24 Jesus says this. He says, that's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. If you want something to happen, if you want a loved one to come to faith in Christ, take a look at what Jesus said here, and he tells us real clear, so here's what you've got to do. 
Pray. Pray. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about them. Don't be the dripping tap. Talk to God. But do make sure you're talking to God. James 4 verse 2 says this, you, you want what isn't yours, you'll risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And I look at that scripture and I think of such loving, caring people who would jump through hoops to get their family members to faith in Jesus. And all we really need to come back to is this. Uh, did you think about asking God for it? Yeah, but He's not doing anything. I, he needs my help. No, God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need your help. Okay? Keep bugging God. Keep asking God. Keep talking to God. But really, please don't step in because you think that God's not up to this. Ask God for it. So in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells this story, right? So He says, Imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up, and I don't have a thing on hand. The friend answers from his bed, don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are down for the night. I can't get up and give you anything. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground, knocking and waking all the neighbors, I don't recommend this, knocking and waking all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying, says Jesus. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Bug God, not them. So Jesus tells the story there, the guy right in the middle of the night. Can, I mean, wouldn't, doesn't that freak you out? Thank God it hasn't happened much in my life. But now and again, in the middle of the night, if the doorbell goes, it's like you're freaking out, right? I mean, your heart suddenly, bah, 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 bah. what the heck's going on? What the heck's going on? I wish I probably should have bought a gun, but I never did. So uh, it's like, what the heck's going on here? It uh, frightened life out of you. Uh, and the guy keeps on knocking. And then you look out the window and say, what the heck? I'm, you know, it's the middle of the night. Leave me alone. We're all asleep. You're going to wake everybody up. No, no, I want stuff. I need stuff. Bang, bang, bang. And Jesus isn't saying there that the Father's reluctant. What He is saying, though, is keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking until you get what you're looking for. Listen, I know what I'm talking about today. I know what I'm talking about because I was born again with a family around me who didn't trust Jesus and didn't know Him. I know what I'm talking about because we've raised a family of our own. And if you think you're automatically directly bound for heaven because you're a pastor's kid, uh, no. you still got to work it out for yourself. But I'm going to tell you this, the most powerful weapon we have for the welfare of those we love is to ask, seek, and knock, and keep at it. Some of you today might need to just start asking again, start believing again, start praying again. 
You might almost be despairing of some family members. I want to encourage you, don't you ever, ever, ever give up because God is faithful. God is faithful. You can't work faith in from the outside. And, and so often we, you know, there are folks who try that. And, you know, and, they, and they, try to, they try to make their family members into Christians on the outside before they're Christians on the inside. I've met too many people who play the game through life, folks. It doesn't start with what I do and don't do. It starts with where my heart is. It starts with a heart relationship with Jesus. So don't try to, you know, do people who don't know Jesus do things that aren't really always 100% good? Yes, they do. Do people who do need know Jesus sometimes do things that are not 100% good? Yes, they do. Back off, bug God, not them. And thirdly, don't shout about your faith. Show it. Show it. How do you influence your loved ones for Jesus? Don't shout about your faith. Show it. Let's go back to that verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we looked at at the start. So, so he says there, there are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. So, there, so here's what he says. Here's what Peter says is going to win them over. He says what's going to win them over is, is the life you live that is such a it's a committed life to Jesus. It's a holy life, and they see that, and there's just something beautiful about you. I'm not talking about the, the, the outward appearance. Um, I'm not saying that. I, I'm just talking about as a person. They know you're a beautiful person. They know you're committed to God for yourself, and here's what Peter says. They will be captivated by that stuff. Don't shout about your faith. Show it. And, and let me say this, if your walk doesn't match your talk, for goodness sake, stop talking. No, really. You're going to put people off if all you're doing is yabbering all the time, but your life's not really showing the things that will influence people to Jesus. I've met so many people who are really not turned off of Christ. They're desperately struggling for an anchor for faith, but they've been turned off Christianity by Christians. And what we need to really recognize is the way we win people is by who we are, way more by way more than by what we say. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul is talking to this young pastor, Timothy. He says, don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Teach believers, he says, do it by your life, not just by what you say. Words, one thing there, but how about your demeanor? How about the way you love people? How about your faith commitment? How about your integrity? Let those things speak for you. Words only work if the way has been prepared by those other factors. Your demeanor, your love, your faith, and your integrity. Integrity. 
How do you influence those you love for Jesus? Well, there's a few things there, but the bottom line becomes this. Listen, God wants them in the kingdom as well. Keep praying, keep believing, keep asking, and keep showing what a Jesus-filled life is really like. 1962, I started praying for my family. 1968, my mother and father came to faith in Jesus. 1962. Christmas Eve, 2009, I got an email from my sister. She was the party girl. Never showed any interest. And I got an email Christmas Eve. It said, I went to the Christmas Eve service at church tonight. And at the end of the service, I walked forward when the pastor invited people who wanted to give their, give their lives to Christ. The following year, I flew over to the UK to watch her being baptized. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep believing. Family does matter. And what we want most for our family is that they should know Jesus too. Don't get in God's way. But let God use you as His instrument. And trust God to do what He said He would do. Let's pray together.